0: You can cope with situations much better for being a loner. I did that shot the first three weeks of my tour, which I didn't know I broke the world record. You don't look at them as human beings. You just look them at as the job.
1: Ten days you're just laying there. Um, you end up peeing yourself. They wanted to cut
0: my head off. And um, kidnapped me. You become a robot, you become, they program you because you know no different. People that have lost friends, that have lost through suicide, and also through serving.
1: Was there any one of them where you relive quite a lot in your own mind? One that you constantly think about?
0: Yeah, yeah, it's hard to talk about.
1: The so one person said, My father is here because of this man. So my guest today is a former sniper sergeant, Craig Harrison, who at the time, he had the longest shot, ranged 2,475 meters, using a Lapua Magnum 338, which anybody that's broken his record since then has used a 50 cal, and he's got a fascinating story. Here's a man that is an expert at taking people out, 80-plus confirms, but at the same time, You got a person that's strong, experienced war, Afghanistan, done a bunch of different things. At the same time, he talks about the effects of PTSD. He talks about the effects of what it did to him in his personal life, on what it is to be a soldier, experiencing those things. So the moment I heard about his story, I watched so many different comments. and. One of the videos when I watched this story, I went and read the comments at the bottom of how many people said direct, says, one guy commented and he said the following, I want to set this whole thing up so you know who you're about to hear from. One of the comments was the following, it, it got me emotional when I was reading this comment. One guy said uh, that my, uh, uh, Craig saved my brother's life in uh, Afghanistan, he's a gentle, loving human being, I'm so sickened to know that he has been released from active duty. Another person said he gave everything his whole life, he literally... Uh, gave his life for his country. He broke his brain and it took him in to, you know, all this stuff that he goes through one person said My father is here because of this man So you're hearing from someone who is loved admired and adored with that being said Craig Thank you so much for making the time for being a guest on Valuetainment.
0: No, it's glad to be here. Glad to be here.
1: so uh, first of all You know typically in situations like this What's your reaction when people say to you? Thank you for your service? How do you process that when somebody says thank you for your service?
0: um how do i act with that i just say i've just done my job i just done my job you, got it. you know it's something that i joined when i was 16 years old uh straight from school because it's different american army to the british army yep. you can join when you're 16 and i did um a year's training and um i i just you know done my job and uh I didn't expect to achieve what I achieved in my service, you know. And when people say, you know, thank you for your service, I I appreciate that. It's, it's heart-touching, you know.
1: Got it. So, but, but it's not something where, in your mind, you go to, I wish I would have never served because I didn't know what the life was going to be. Do you ever personally go there? You know, because diplomatically, we can tell people, yeah, it was, you know, any time, no problem. But in your mind, do you go to... Man, I, 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 it's a rough life, man. It's not for everybody. Maybe half the things I saw, I wish I would have never seen. Do you ever go there?
0: Yeah, all okay. the time. Got all it. the time. Um, I always say people daydream. You know, they always daydream about holidays and happy things. I daydream about other things. And that's where I go to my dark place and the demons appear and stuff like that. And that's what I try and fight with.
1: Till today? So still today, yeah. What, what are those events declining, or is it still the same pace?
0: Yeah, uh, same pace.
1: And, same and what pace. are some of the things you daydream of? Is it individuals? Is it settings? Is it events? Is it visuals? Is it a loss of a, a person, a friend? Where do, where do you daydream? Where do you go?
0: It's a mixture of things. It's a mixture of um, scenarios that I've been in, um, close death scenarios that I've been in, stuff that I've witnessed through my sniper scope, and not be able to take this shot but just observe the devastation that people do um, and just people that I've lost, friends that I've lost through suicide and also through serving, you know, on tours, everything that, everything just, it, yeah, it's emotional, it's emotional.
1: How do you cope with it? What's your mechanism on coping with it? Is it uh, prayer? Is it uh, music? Is it exercise? Is it being around dogs, animals, music? What, what is your route? What, what is your method? Uh,
0: two things. One is being around my wife. Um, she is my absolute rock, my stone, you know? And secondly, I go to the gym a lot um, and just lose myself for that hour or two hours. It's nice to lose yourself you know, and not think about things and just lose yourself in your music and your workout, and, but also to come home knowing you've got a wife to support you as well. I think that's a, a major
1: thing. Powerful. Do you listen to Lose Yourself by Eminem while you're working out or no? No, it's called uh, Rob Bailey and the Hustle Standard. Got it. Okay. okay. So yeah. so you go a completely different... I thought you said lose yourself. You're sitting there hyping yourself up to Eminem. But why don't we go back? So 16 years old, you go in. Do you think 16 is the right age for a kid to join the military? You think that's the right age?
0: No, no, not at all.
1: What do you think is the right age? I I think 18 18, years. Okay, got it.
0: 18 years old, 18 years old. Have a bit of life experience before you join. You know, Um, straight from school, you become a robot. You become, they program you because you know no different. You know no different about civilian life, about getting a job, about money or anything. You just join the Army straight away, and that's when they program you, and that's when they start, you know, till you're 17, and then you join the regiment, and they start programming you even more.
1: When you went in, let's just say, let's go 15 years old. If I'm in high school with you, who were you at 15? Well, say again, sorry? If I was in school with you at 15 years old, you and I are buddies, we're classmates, who were you in school at 15 years old before joining the military?
0: Um, quiet, a uh, didn't, I had one friend um who's my cousin and we're still good friends now. You know, I've known my cousin since I was like five years old and we're still very tight. And we luckily to go to the we luckily went to the same school and we hung out and um yeah, a bit of a loner. I, I spent more of my time around animals, to be honest with you. Horses. I've been riding horses since I was five years old. And instead of you know, going to school, doing, doing my work, doing my homework, and then concentrate on horses, you know, and it, that's, that, that
1: was my life, that was my upbringing. Do, do you notice that being a trend amongst the best of the best of the best snipers out there where their personality is a little bit of a loner where they're to themselves? Is, is that a commonality or not necessarily? Yeah. It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah, yeah you, 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 you can cope with situations much better, you know, being a loner you can stay in a position longer because you're you're used to being alone, you know? And you work with your number two, who's close with you, and he's right next to you all the time, but you don't talk, you know? You get so connected with each other, he knows everything that I'm gonna do, and I know everything he's gonna do, you know? And that's how connected you are. And just to be quiet, and be with yourself, yeah, it, it's, it's a special
1: art. It's an art. I bet. What's the longest you, you've had to be quiet, in the position, not moving? What's the longest you went?
0: Uh, one and a half
1: weeks. How long? One and a half weeks well, in Afghanistan. You're not moving or standing up, walking, nothing? No. 10 days, you're just laying there. That's yes, correct. How are you eating? How are you peeing? How are you... Um,
0: you end up peeing yourself. Um, you defecate in a in a Tupperware jar. So basically you roll over. Your number two will put it underneath you. You defecate in it. He wraps it up. You put it in your backpack. Um, you dig a trough between your legs. And then when you pee, it sort of like goes down the trough so it doesn't hinder you. Um, you eat dry food all the time because you don't want to cook you don't want smoke to give your uh, signature away or anything so you eat cold food and you catnap through the day so you'll he will he will be on the scope you catnap for 20 minutes
1: and then you swap and change and things like that craig one and a half weeks you so for one and a half weeks you guys are not talking you guys are not communing nothing everything is nonverbal, and you're laying there that's correct
0: Yeah, the only um, time you get to speak is when you send sit-reps on the radio just to make sure that, you know, everything's going okay um, and you're sending um, sit-reps all the time on what the enemy's doing all the time. So that's the only time you get to speak.
1: How special was this assignment where it required you to be that patient? Was this a special assignment in Afghanistan?
0: Yeah, yeah. um, To stop the uh, Afghans getting weapons. Um, this village we were looking into, um, the the Afghans were getting a villi- um, lot of weapon systems into this village, and then they distribute it um, around Afghanistan once it gets into this village. So our job was to um, gather lifetime information of what's going on, find out who the main people are, and um, eventually take them out.
1: Did you eventually complete your mission on this on this in this case? Yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah. And this was one target, or was it multiple targets? Multiple, multiple. How far were they from you, where you're situated at?
0: The closest was about 675 yards, and the furthest was about a mile away.
1: So 675 yards, that's seven football fields away from you, the closest. Yeah. And and, and where are you? Are you on top of a mountain? Are you by trees? Are you in the desert? What's the situation like?
0: What we used, we had these, um, these cam nets. And basically, these camnets. nets, if you turn them one way, they keep the heat in. If you turn them the other way, they keep the heat out. So we managed to cut <laughs> a big section of this cam net to, to cover ourselves up. And um, we were on a ridgeline, so we we're quite high up, elevated, looking down into the village. Um, but we had support to our um, left um, of major weaponry, but they didn't get involved... It was more of a sniper op than anything else.
1: How many? How many people was it that you took out on this one? How many? Uh, uh, what was the number? Thirteen. Oh wow, got it. So this. So from the moment you knew it was ready, the uh, the week and a half goes by. The the thirteen confirms. What is the timeline from the first kill to the thirteenth one?
0: Jeez, you're talking. It all depends where they are at the same time. It was funny because they had a, um, a big heavy machine gun called a, a GAC-17. And it's an anti-aircraft gun. And it holds um, clips of 30 mil rounds. And there were only four in Afghanistan that the, that the um, Taliban had. And the SAS destroyed two. Um, in theater and then there were still two out there and they had one in this village. So as soon as we took the first target out, they they had a rough idea where it came from the, 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 from the noise and um, they opened up with this ASG17 and took the whole ridge line out. Um, you're talking probably four meters in front of us was just it was all splashing up we were getting shot at. we just kept our heads down we didn't move or anything and then at the night time we we drew out that position and we went into another position because we were you know worried that we had been seen um or being compromised but um you're talking 13 people with probably within a space of um Within then 10 days. Oh, I got you. So,
1: so it's not like you're sitting still, and then on the 10th day, one shows up, boom, 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 boom. It's not that. That's not the... the no. The, okay. If
0: I had an opportunity to take the target out, and it's called having green guns. You, you say, yeah, you've got a green light, you've got green guns, you can take the target out. Um, you can um, eliminate what you, you what you perceive to be the threat at the time but as a sniper your main role is everyone thinks of being a sniper your main role is to shoot people it's not it's to gather lifetime information of the battlefield interesting yeah and so when you go in you get as much information as possible on that surrounding area and then you go back you hand all your information over and they say right then this is what this is how we're going to you know this is how we're going to play this out you know, and then you go back into your position, and you start taking targets out.
1: Craig, what were the main places you were deployed in? I know it's a lot of Afghanistan I hear about, but what are the places where you deployed at?
0: Um, I've been deployed in Bosnia, Kosovo, um, Afghanistan, and Iraq.
1: Are all these places you were deployed, you have a co- co- confirmed kill in all these places, or no?
0: No, Iraq and Afghanistan.
1: Got it. How difference was Af- Iraq and Afghanistan for you when you were deployed?
0: It was funny because in Iraq, um, they were. it was more urbanised. You know, you're talking about B- Basra city um, and big, big built up areas. Um, so you're talking, you've got a hunt um, then down by your urban. So you're in buildings, you know, and some days the gates of hell would open, you know, and some days it'd be all quiet. And in Afghanistan, you're talking about it's more desert. Uh, you, you, they have compounds and they have little villages, but nothing built up like Iraq was.
1: Got it. Got it. And uh, Kosovo, Bosnia, was that between ninety-seven to ninety-nine? Was it around That's that correct. time? Yeah. Okay. Got yeah. It. Yeah. I remember that. Uh, I was in the army when uh, the, the, everybody was getting deployed to Kosovo, Bosnia, and it was a mess. That uh, at that time. But uh, going back to the two thousand four hundred seventy-five meters uh that that uh uh, was that in iraq or was that in afghanistan afghanistan that was was that the same 10 days or it's a different setting
0: no that was um i did that shot i did that shot the first three weeks of my tour so i was i was there for you when you go on tour you get um sort of like um used to the heat and all that before you get dispersed out to your operations um so as soon as I got dispersed out to my operations, within three weeks, I took that shot, which I didn't know I broke the world record.
1: When did you know you sign. broke the record? Who told you? Did somebody whisper to you, or
0: no, no? When I when I came back to um, England, we we have a medals parade, like you get your ribbons and all that to say welcome home, and the the media is welcome into the camp to interview you and talk to you and um i spoke to this gentleman and i said that you know i was a sniper also a sergeant in charge of these guys and he said can you tell me a story and i told him the story of my shot and he said do you realize you broke the world record you beat rob furlong's record the canadian guy um by you know a a long way and i went no i didn't and when it went into the papers that's when we me and my wife got death threats And we had to
1: go in hiding for three years. Oh, because they put it in the papers. And you don't, as a sniper, you definitely don't want that.
0: No, it was my wife's name, my daughter's name, my dog's name, where I lived, where I was born, where I was raised up. Everything, everything was in the papers. And funny enough, my wife said, I've got a bad feeling about this. I've got a bad feeling about this. And everyone just kept saying to her, you know, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. And then... Um, I, uh, there was another clip in the paper because of the two guys that I shot were Taliban leaders. Um, they wanted to cut my head off and um, kidnap me and uh, to just to um, teach me a lesson.
1: And so what is, did you guys have to move just to make sure you were safe? Did you go to a different place so they couldn't... Uh...
0: Yeah, we, we went into secure housing and then we moved to America for three years.
1: Just for that one event, and this is two people you took out right at this event. It's a uh, yes,
0: it is. Yeah, yeah. two people.
1: And it, it, the two thousand four seventy five for for some people that maybe can't visually see what that's about a half a half a mile. What we're talking about, right? Just over a mile and a half. Yeah, just over a mile and a half is what we're. That's right, a mile and a half is what we're talking about. So yeah. so two there eighty total thirteen in that one Afghanistan. What was the biggest difference between the first? Kill versus the last one. First uh, confirmed kill versus the last one. Was there a big difference emotionally? Where the last one is like, you know, boom, it's a job. I'm moving on. The first one, you're like, oh my gosh, did I do? You know, what was the biggest difference for you? That one, you
0: when I first um, when I first got a first shot and you know and onto my target you feel like you're in trouble. You feel like you're in trouble. You think, Christ, I've killed someone. You know, um, somebody's going to tap me on the shoulder and say, you know, can we have a quick word of you? You know, why did you do this? Why did you do that? Because I didn't know, you know, it's my job at the time. And, and then you don't get blasé, but you sort of get into the rhythm of things when you're taking targets out. You don't look at them as human beings. You just look them at it as 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 the job, the operation that you need to do to take that target out.
1: Is is there any one of them that you had to do where there were, uh, uh the it was so technical because there were kids involved and you had to try to get the target that you had, uh, uh in a climate where there are kids around. And the only reason I think about this, I think about it from the movie. You know, the movie with, uh, uh, Chris Carl. uh yeah, where I interviewed his wife. I had her on Taya. And you know that one scene where there's kids is like, oh, my gosh, how do I do it? What do I do in this angle? Was there ever a you know, situation like that that you were in?
0: Yeah, there was, yeah. In, um, in Iraq, um, in, in Basel itself, we were it in a place, um, a little place called the Pijok, and there was only um, like 12 of us at this location, and it was a police station, basically, and every t- every night... The insurgents used to come up and try and break into the prison to release all the people in the prison. So, our job was to take the insurgents out. But from 11 o'clock at night to five o'clock in the morning, it was like the gates of hell. So, when you, when five o'clock comes, the marketplace opens and then you get everyone, it's really busy. Got it. You know, but you can still see your targets. So, you end up tracking them. You end up tracking them, you end up observing, you end up um, finding out where they go, where they hold up, and when the night comes, you're back on that target and where they are, and you end up taking that target out.
1: It's wild just thinking about it, you know, on, the, on that war. Was there any, any one of the uh, 80 that you afterwards, minus the first one, because it's the first one you were experiencing. Was there any one of them where you relive quite a lot in your own mind, one that you constantly think about, or no?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to talk about. It's hard to
1: talk okay. about. Okay. So there is there is something that in your mind it goes back. And is it more about something where I should have done it this way, I should have done it that way, or was it just a setting that uh, you keep reliving? Just...
0: just the
1: whole scenario I should have done it different you know got it yeah cuz I, I mean i think about like you, you know in the in uh sport a boxer okay like right now wilder lost to tyson fury, fury which by the way you sound like if i close my eyes i'm thinking i'm talking to tyson fury and <laughs> you know i don't know if you guys know each other if you guys have met or not or you know no no but no. Uh, so wilder wins loses right and he loses second time and he could have won this one right he could have won this one because uh, the couple one knockout, the other one, let's just say he slipped, but knockout. So the coaches afterward have to mentally get him back in the state. Many, many boxers, when they lose, something like this, like when Foreman lost, he was in depression for three years, and somebody goes there and works with them, with these athletes, right? The same thing happens in sports. You know, basketball, you missed a shot, and you were supposed to win the game, and everybody was relying on you. Or election, you have to concede, call the other person and say, well, congratulations to you, and... Hillary Clinton having to call Trump or something like that. I mean, this stuff is public humiliating loss, right? When you when you're going through this, what what is the program they have to coach counsel the sniper after they had an experience? Who did you guys go talk to to calm you down? Was there anybody? Any- no.
0: Listen, it took me. On that my last tour of Afghan, I got blown up. Also, I got um, I got my helmet here. I got shot in the helmet. So I got shot there, and it came out there. Wow. And it knocked me out for about 20, probably 20 seconds. I was clean out. And that was an AK-47 short round. And that got shot at probably 100 yards, um, if that. And it knocked me clean out. And then three weeks after that, I got blown up by an ID, a 30-kilo anti-tank mine, hit my vehicle, which I broke both my arms. I got a, 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 a brain injury, my hips are knackered, everything. And then um, I was put back to England. And then six weeks later, they took the casts off my hands, made me do 10 press-ups and redeployed me back into afghanistan and then when my tour finished i didn't feel right up here you know when my tour finished um i did 23 years in the british army and it took me half an hour to get kicked out to say goodbye no thank you no good service no nothing they just just kick you out
1: they kicked you out for what for
0: uh, PTSD, uh, adjustment disorder, uh, and also my injuries, my injuries.
1: 23 years and took him half an hour. So how, how do you feel, how do, in your mind, how do you feel about the, the way they handled it? How do you feel about uh, the military itself? Is it more your frustration is towards an individual or the entire institution as a whole? You know where is your biggest frustration with
0: just the how the army treat people with PTSD um, and how they go about treating it don't get me wrong my I have a friend now who's suffering and he's still serving he's he's in the process of getting discharged and um, what they've offered him, the regiment is fantastic, but when I you know eight years ago. It was no nothing like that. It was just you get kicked out of the regiment, you get palmed off onto um, like a sick regiment where they look after all the wounded and injured soldiers, and then from there they sort your
1: discharge papers out, and you, you're gone, you know? Did they give you 100% retirement? Is it 100%? No. 50%? No, 30%. 30% retirement on 23 years? Yeah. So not even 100% disability, any of that? They didn't give you any of that? percent. It's kind of weird because in U.S. they started doing a hundred percent on things like this, and they were not at one point, but thirty percent. So, what did you do after being a sniper? What, how do you make your money? I mean, on your resume, you say, "Hey, I'd like to get a job here." What are you great at? I'm great at taking people out. Two thousand, you know. You know, what do you go do? Do you become a manager somewhere? What is, what what job qualifies you to go and say, "I'm qualified to do this job"?
0: The- I'm lucky. I work for a company at the moment that um, understand about PTSD and understand. And I'm probably the third, fourth person that was in the military, sort of like being discharged. And they're really good. And I just work in a factory. Basically, I work in a factory and that's all I do now. And I sit at my bench making parts for um, machinery and that's all I do. And it's it's mind it's it's mind-numbing, but it's it's a job, and I'm lucky to have a job, and I'm lucky that this company is, is taking me on, and they looked after me, and I appreciate that.
1: Well, good for them, man, for doing that. You know, the, the companies that do things like that. Uh, uh, I I spoke to a group in Dallas who were former paratrooper, Navy SEALs, Delta, you know, all the main ones, Ranger, all the big ones in the U.S. that we have, right, and. These are sharp-looking guys like you—sharp guys, strong guys—and having a hard time getting a job. They having a hard time getting a job after the career because what do you see on your resume? You know, although some of them, like a, a sniper, I can imagine a sniper. Are you a math guy or no? Are you somebody that's good with numbers? I'm assuming you have to be as a sniper, right? Because the whole thing is math and angles.
0: Yeah, but since I've um, got a TBI, um, little things like stress me. I get stressed a lot Makes lately. Sense. You know, I get. Um, frustrated with myself because I can't do much like I used to. Like um, this November, I'm I'm having my hips replaced. You know, so I won't be able to go into the gym. So mm. that's more stress and more frustration yeah. with me, you know. But the the going back to the Army, the Army's getting much better at how they're dealing with things. The British Army you know? and the way
1: they're handling it?
0: Yeah, okay. n- nowadays they're getting much better. You know, I think they're learning by their mistakes. You can't go back and reapply for
1: 100%?
0: I did. Do you know what? I went for a tribunal and um, I walked in and it was all done by video link because I was in America at the time. So I had to go to Baltimore to do a video link to England. And uh, the, the woman judge said to me, she looked at me and she goes, well, Mr. Harrison, you seem a very capable young man and that was it, and he, was got, he got pushed out of court. Yeah, I, I, I lost it, I lost my tribunal.
1: I, I, don't, I don't understand that part. You know, a guy gives uh, uh, more than half of his life to your country, puts his life on the line, gets shot up on, get, you do, it's all these things that people are just not willing to do, and then, all right, hey, thank you, awesome. All the best to you, good luck, here's 30%. That part I don't get. Uh, it, it, there were certain situations in the U.S. Army where guys left, and they had uh, scenarios, obviously not as extreme as yours, and they left at thirty percent. Fifteen years later, they went back and applied; they got the hundred percent. Fifteen years later, but during that fifteen percent, they were not getting it. So, I'm curious to know if, if uh, the British Army will, will ever consider doing that. Let, let me let me ask a different question in regards to yourself when you're in there. You're, you're looking at the Taliban as enemies. You're looking at these guys as enemies. Now that you're disconnected from it, and you're, you're, this is not your day-to-day stuff, how do you view uh, both uh, folks in Iraq, Afghanis, and the Taliban? Obviously, I'm asking this question because the last 60 days, 90 days, you know, the world's turned upside down in Afghanistan with the way America left, and there's a lot of different conversations around it. But how do you view from personal experience, Afghanistan, Iraq, and the Taliban?
0: I don't want to get too political about it, but it, it's um, it's hurtful. It's hurtful. You know, you put in Afghanistan, for instance, 20 years of infrastructure that the Americans have put in, the English are put in, we pulled out, the Americans put more, more, and more in there. And then it just went wrong. It just went wrong. And to know that I've lost people out there, to know that I've come back to England and I've had friends commit suicide because of Afghanistan, it, it makes you angry. It makes you angry. And it makes you angry towards towards the government, really, that they haven't done much more to defend it. And not even an apology, not even a... I, I do believe that and our local papers out here, they had um, mothers of um sons that have been killed out there wanting an apology of the prime minister and um which they never got you know they never got i understand it's their job and that's our job out there to do a job you know but it's like doing a job and you, you've come away with nothing really
1: yeah i mean and that's got to be especially uh um uh, uh, more personal to you because you you put a lot of your uh, uh, deployment there. Uh, for somebody who's never had direct dealings with the Taliban, they don't. All they know is what the news says. You know, one channel says they're evil people. Another channel says they're changing. One channel says they're marrying eleven-year-old girls. Grown forty-year-old men are marrying eleven-year. And, you know, you you read these stories and there's no way in the world this can be true. This has got to be, there's no way the world's going to allow these types of things to happen. Another publication says, no, that's true. That's exactly what's happening. What was your direct experience on how these folks are? Are they as evil as uh, we read about in many different publications?
0: Yeah. In in my eyes, in my eyes, I'm not, yeah. They're um, a different breed, different breed. You know, but I feel like you said that, like you've heard that they need to change. I think they need to change. They need to change to get the Afghan people on side. So, you know, the, so things need to change for for the better, not you, for the worst.
1: You think they will? You think um, the, you think the Taliban will change?
0: I think they they will just put a smoke screen up to say, you know, we're going to do this. We promise this. We promise that. All, it will go all quiet, and then, you know, they've done
1: what they've done. It's a sad situation, man, seeing what's going on over there. Um, yeah,
0: it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a hard thing to talk about. It, hard thing to talk about. I, I bet,
1: especially for somebody like you. Yeah. Uh, last couple things here before we wrap up. You know, uh, what is the biggest difference between, you know, you using a... Lapua Magnum, you know, the 338 versus a fifty cal when you're shooting something that far. What is the level of difficulty using a three thirty-eight versus a fifty cal?
0: A fifty cal can go four Ks. So that can go that can go up to three miles. It can go in a straight line, you know, and, and it's designed, it's a bigger round. Mine's only a small round. Like I said before, I, my rifle was only meant to go fifteen hundred meters. So that's the, the max distance of my rifle
1: so you have to calculate that the the you have to calculate i mean this is pure geometry right if you have to calculate the incline and the decline uh uh, wow so if you
0: so if you shoot a bullet say for instance at 100 meters Mm -hmm. you shoot a bullet Mm -hmm. now that bullet will go flat that bullet will stay flat up to 300 to 350 meters but just for just for argument's sake if it did rise up, that bullet did rise up, the highest point of that bullet will be three quarters. So it would be at um, 70 meters would be the highest point of that bullet. And then it would start dropping. So a mile and a half, 1,000 yards, highest point would be 700 before it starts dropping. Oh. So you've got to work it out where it's going to drop.
1: And, and how many tries did it take for you to hit this target, the mile and a half?
0: Well, in the morning, um, I saw that there was a dicker, um, a guy with an icon chatter mm-hmm. uh, radio. Yep. And uh, I saw the glint the antenna, and I can see the Taliban, where I was, waiting to ambush the patrol going in. So I took nine shots to get there, to hit the compound wall. And I was bracketing. It's called bracketing, where you fire the first shot, and you go, okay, lift it up a bit more. Yeah. What everyone forgets, I was stood up when I fired these shots. I wasn't lying down. I was leant against the wall.
1: Is there a difference?
0: Um, it's, it's harder <laughs> because you've got the recoil, the going back, you know. The wall kept crumbling. you got the undulating <laughs> of the ground as well. It was just a nightmare. But, yeah, I, I managed to bracket and one round hit the compound wall. And then the dicker's head went down and I I had an interpreter with me who had a radio tuned into the Taliban frequency. And he said to me that the Taliban are blind now because they can't see what's going on. So that was, that was roughly about 11 o'clock in the morning. I did that shot. And then when I, when I took these other guys out was roughly about one o'clock. The, the contact lasted for about
1: two hours. Standing up, you, I guess the word I would use is calibrated, but you're saying bracketing, so, and that's, that's insane to be thinking about that. And, and a weapon that only goes 1,500, and you went, you know, that's uh, another 1,000 meters more than that. Do you have a favorite weapon yourself from over the years?
0: Um, th- that rifle's good. That it's rifle, good. Is good. it's a solid rifle. Yeah, you know what I mean, and it's proven to do the job, and it does the job well. And it's got go- a
1: lot of stopping power as well. Do you still go to the range today, or no?
0: No, I don't know. We do because my PTSD. They're quite strict in England about shooting. But when I was in
1: America, I used to go to the range all the time. Oh, so it doesn't it doesn't bother you if you go even today? If you were to go, you you would have gone if, if if they allowed you.
0: It's funny, really, because in America, they, if you got PTSD or you've got some sort of um, stress from the army, they say, instead of going to the cinema, instead of going for lunch, let's go to the range. And you seem everyone just goes to the range <laughs> and has a good time blowing rounds and all that. So not really. It doesn't. Sometimes it does, you know, when I look for a scope, I get like a little sharp image sometimes and I shake it off and then there's a crack on, you know but um yeah but i don't i don't shoot anymore
1: do you watch any of the movies are you a, a guy that watches any military movies or no no
0: no i end up critiquing it, <laughs> Saying, it. that can't be right uh, no that's wrong no that's wrong <laughs> you know
1: what well, have you seen anything that was very like you're like that's the closest thing i've seen that yeah that was somewhat believable anything you've there's seen a that- Br- there's a british film called kajaki kajaki
0: yeah that's a good film
1: and that's, that's like the most accurate depiction of what it looks like? Um,
0: it's nothing to do with snipering, but it's to do with um, uh, a, a patrol um, in a post in um, Iraq. And that's, that's, I would say, yeah, that's more like it, what it's like.
1: Got it. And, and uh, do you have any kids? I don't know if you have any kids or not. I've got two daughters. Two daughters. Okay. If you had a son and he's thinking about joining the military to be a sniper, what would you tell him?
0: Get a trade. Get a trade? Join, yeah, join the engineers, you know, join something where you become a carpenter, you've got a bricklayer, you know, a battle engineer, when you can drive all these machineries and everything. So when you do come out, the armed forces, because they don't look after you when you come out, you've got something to fall back on. And like you said, these special forces guys can't get jobs, you know? Well, I'm lucky, but if you was an engineer and you left with all your licenses, you can drive big Arctic lorries, and you can build a fence, you can build a wall, you're made. So that's what I would say to my son.
1: Got it. And and to to anybody else that's joining the military sniper, do you look at the job of a sniper as a you know, admirable thing, like, oh, my gosh, you know, this person's a sniper. Is that how you look at it? Or are you kind of like, like, okay, I know what it is to be a sniper. I lived that life for 23 years. There is a, it's not a life you want to live. Where, where do you go yourself when you think about it?
0: They say in the Army you do trades. So you do a sniper will be a trade. Um, a, um, a paratrooper will be a trade. Mm. And I say snipering is a curse yeah because it it scars you it scars you
1: what a what a perspective man snipering is a is a curse so uh uh, to wrap up craig uh, book longest kill uh uh can you can you take a moment and tell us about the book the longest kill
0: yeah well i I wrote the book because um i wanted to put people right about the shots because um i think the americans did something on youtube where they had me lying down and everything. I just wanted to put everyone right. But I just couldn't do one chapter in the book. So I did it about my life story, you know, when I was a child, my childhood, you know, which was good. And then from there, joining the army, joining the Foreign Legion, doing prize fighting, uh, d- just things that I'd done. Prize fighting. You know, yeah, I did
1: prize fighting for a while for money. <laughs> About the wrong place at the wrong time how was that how was the experience of price fighting painful i bet i bet <laughs> yeah you just you did it for money you did it for money i i met this person
0: uh that i knew and he introduced me to it and um so i did it for a while and then um you sort of yeah you you become a bit painful after a while so you sort of give it up
1: who do people say you look like? I got two people I think you look like. I'm curious to know what you say. Who do people say you look like? Anybody or no? Uh, is it Matt Dillon? Well, I can see that one. 100% I can see that one. But I got yeah. a combination of two cats. And by the way, people that are watching this, say yes or no. If I'm, if it doesn't make any sense, say, Pat, give it a thumbs down. If it uh, makes sense, give it a thumbs up. But I see a... A Connor and a Dan Bulsarian. I don't know if you know these two characters. Maybe you know Conor McGregor. You may know him. Yeah, UFC. Yeah, but yeah, Dan yeah. is a different guy. You gotta, and they're both obviously. You know, this is these are uh, 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 studs that we're talking about. Uh, but uh, interesting life you've lived, man. Very, very interesting life you've lived. And I, I appreciate you coming out here. We're gonna put the link to your book below for folks to be able to go pick up as well. But more than anything else, just listening to your story. Uh, and still doing your best to have this attitude and going about your life and to have your wife in your life where you're calling her your rock and exercising that is a form of uh, 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 losing yourself for that hour or two in the gym uh, it's it's honorable to hear a man that served and is willing to talk about it and is as humble as you are i appreciate you coming on and being a guest on value and i really enjoyed this thank time you. with you
0: thank you i appreciate talking to anytime
1: you. brother take care of yourself Thank you. Thank you very much. Let me put it to you this way. Every time I do an interview, the guys that are here, I ask them, so tell me what you think about it. We were all speechless by his story. That's all I can tell you. And and I don't know about you. I'm curious to know what you took away from this, because I'm sure you were also speechless. A week and a half with your partner, not moving, nothing, could you do that for a week? Imagine a job where you have to lay there as a grown man or a grown woman for a week and a half, blown away. If you like the interview, give us a thumbs up and subscribe uh, to the channel. And if you like this, I did an interview also with another sniper who had 33 confirmed kills. I believe he was the first African-American sniper uh, from a, a unit. You uh, need to hear a story. Fascinating story. He got a couple million views. And it's another one of those stories where you're going to be flabbergasted by his life of a sniper. So if you've not seen that click over here, take care, everybody. Bye-bye.